Let me ask you folks a question. How many people know where Arad is? Wow, that's impressive. Don't say by the ocean. Lord have mercy. It is not by the sea. It is by the desert. Um, okay, folks, let's settle down, please. It's a blessing to have George and Rivka Witten, who come from Arad. Thank you. Actually, I'm going to give the basic <laughs> description or whatever of our ministry. But um, this is our first time here, so I was going to share a few words with you. Although I do see a number of familiar faces, a few here, and um, they're there too. Um, anyway, praise God. Hallelujah. Shabbat shalom. Um, so my husband and I minister full-time in Israel, and we are currently touring around the United States for a couple months, and um, uh, we always make a stop in Denver because we have some very close friends here who are with us today, Heidi and John and their family. And... Um, we are, um, wh what we basically do in Israel is we open our home on Friday nights and we make a big meal for about 40, 50 people and we invite people to come. <laughs> and so we've had lots of people, believers, unbelievers, lots of Israelis come and we've seen a number of them come to know the Lord over the 10 years we've been doing this. And it is just, um, it's an honor and a privilege to serve him in the land and um, we live out in the middle of the desert. Who's been to Israel? Okay, wow. Good number of you. So if you know where Arad is, it's uh, between uh, Beersheba and the Dead Sea. And um, so we've been doing that for about 10 years. Um, and I'm Israeli-born. My parents are born in Israel. My grandparents born in Israel. Aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, my great-grandparents actually came in the late 1800s to help build Israel. They uh, planted vineyards. I'm not vineyards. Ugh, orchards. I'm really tired. <laughs> they planted orchards and uh, orange, no, orange groves. Thank you. Um, orange groves in, the, um, in Tel Aviv. And um, so that's, that's kind of my story. And I'm the first in my family to come to know the Lord. And since... I have become a believer. Um, I've seen my mother, my stepfather is also Jewish, my, um, father. my father just recently and two sisters come to know the Lord. And so really a miracle. I mean, I don't know if anybody's seen, it's all the glory to the Lord. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever seen their parents come to know the Lord, but it's, it's such a, it's awesome. It's just awesome. So I'm just so blessed. I'm so blessed. And um, so uh, I'm just going to share, you know, years ago, the Lord um, put upon my heart to start doing music in Hebrew it, from Scripture that my family could he hear and, you know, hear the word. Okay. So because I have hundreds of people in my family alone who would take a CD just because it's from me. And they'll listen to it, you know, just because it's for me. So the word is going forth, you know. And so we decided that we were going to just give these away. Now, for those of you who know, it's not, 
it's not cheap to make CDs. I've made two CDs right here. And by some miracle, we were able to do this, uh, make these. And I, we've given thousands of these away in Israel. And the Lord has just opened up doors for me to sing all over Israel in secular venues. And we just give them away. And we do a lot of that kind of outreach. It's pretty amazing. And actually, when you buy one of those, that enables us to give five. We don't make money on those. We just give give CDs away. So, um and so, and then the Lord started opening up other doors and uh, to go around the world, which is just simply mind-boggling. That, But, you know, it's like when you give away what you have, whatever it is, your, your talents, your time, your belongings, whatever it is, God blesses. And I just came back from Ukraine and sang um, with Jewish voice for the third time. And there were 20,000 people there, a lot of Jewish people. They just really responded to the gospel. And, um, you know, this is, it's just amazing. Like, I'm telling you, give what you have to the Lord. So I just want to share with you uh, this gift that the Lord has given me. Um, And I know there were some requests made to... uh, do certain songs so they can dance. Oh, one more thing. Please do not forget, out there on my table, um, I have some cards. with. They're little magnets you can put on your fridge. When you go get a snack, just say a prayer for us because we've dealt with all kinds of persecution, all kinds of stuff in our city, and uh, we just need prayer. So, And that's how we get anything done. Amen? I'm just going to introduce my husband because of the time. And um, this is my better half. Oh, you you can excuse the kids. You want to do that, or do you want me to do that? Lord bless them. Lord, I ask you, Father, you just touch them and have them learn good things about how to serve you in this day and age. In Yeshua's name, Amen. Um, so this is my better half, right here. His name is George. George. <laughs> for those of you who are still waiting, I want to encourage you to wait for the right one. Don't give in. I don't know what he's saying, but... No, um, no, no. Uh, Just making sure the reverb was off. Okay, (laughs) yeah, okay. Anyway, God has been good to me. You know, he he told me that there should be one thing on my list. Just get rid of that other stuff I had on my list of things I was looking for. One thing on my list is to marry the best person who would partner with with you for my kingdom. The best person to partner with you for my kingdom, that was the one thing that was on my list. And you'll see why in a second that came to pass. Um, But uh, yeah, let's pray. Lord, we just ask you, Father, you would open up our hearts, Lord, and minds, Lord, and ears, God, to hear maybe something we haven't heard before, God. We just ask you, Father, your Holy Spirit would just work through my husband, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. I saw this red light. It's normally green. If we happen to lose the mic, I will replace the batteries. All right. I'm hoping that we'll last the whole service. Anyway, just out of curiosity, um, who has heard me speak before? Oh, a brand new crowd almost. Now, who, who gets my worthy briefs? Oh, two. Wow. Okay. So um, just a little bit about myself. My name is George Witten. I used to be a grateful deadhead. 
amazingly, they were around when I graduated high school. I graduated in 1989. I know that I have all white hair. I mentioned this, that I'm only 44, because my wife says, you need to mention this because people will think that you robbed the cradle. Um, yeah, only because they told you. Anyway, in 1989, I had a song called Touch of Gray. I've had white hair. I've always had white hair ever since I was little. My hair has turned completely white. It happened basically the same time I got married and the same time I moved to Israel. So I'm not sure which to blame, marriage or Israel, or maybe a combination of the, of the two. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, I got radically saved in 1996. And uh, very early on, my heart has always been for revival. Uh, the very first ministry I ever did was an inner city ministry inside of Baltimore City in a place called Pigtown. And the one thing the Lord showed me very early on is that the Jewish people are the key to worldwide revival. Way back when, there was a bunch of Jewish people who got together and they were trying to figure out, what do we do with the Gentiles that believe? And so James actually stands up and he quotes this verse and he says, In that day we'll raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise it up on its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Here's Yaakov. He goes ahead and quotes this passage. But this is not the conclusion of the passage. The passage actually continues on. This is verse 14. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. The prophecy is being fulfilled in our day. They're coming back to the land. 1948, Israel became a nation again. It says this, and they shall rebuild the waste cities and inhabit them. Now, the city that my wife and I live, we live in the city called Arad. If you forget it, between Arad and a hard place. Okay. So now the city of Arad is the only city that has an ancient high place that is from the days of the kings. When God told, um, you know, uh, uh, just the different kings to destroy the high places, Josiah came to Arad, but there was no high place to destroy. Why? Because it was actually already buried by Hezekiah. He destroyed all the high places, except the high place in Arad was actually buried. And if you go there today, it was actually unburied by the Romans. And it was part of the spice trail, bringing spices from India, going across the Negev Desert, going out of Joppa, which is now known as Tel Aviv. If you go there today, you'll see an ancient Israelite altar with an ancient Israelite holy of holies, where they have a replica of the Ten Commandments that are on display at the Israel Museum of the Bible. Or, I'm sorry, just the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. And so you have to understand that this place God called an abomination. Why? Because they were mixing the holy with the profane. Arad is also very key in uh, understanding history because this is the city where the spies first spied at the land before the land was conquested. If you come into the city, on the left-hand side, you'll see these huge snakes and these huge vultures at the top. And as soon as you come into the city, it is a spiritual stronghold over our city. There's a sect of Orthodox Jews there called the Ger Hasidim. And the Ger Hasidim not only have started riots with us, but they've started riots with just about any other, per any other group in our town that doesn't believe as they believe. And the sect of Orthodox Jews believe that we are polytheistic, that we worship three gods, and so that we are idolaters, and so we actually should be stoned according to the Torah. And so this is why we face such opposition in our town. We've had cars, you know, tires slashed. We've had situations where ministry centers have been firebombed. We've had protests outside of our house. Uh, we've had Brit Hadashahs thrown, torn up and thrown into our yards. We've had Messianic books burned and thrown into our yards. We've, we've basically seen it all. 
But Arad was rebuilt in 1963. It was not a city until 963. And this is the prophecy. It says, they shall rebuild the waste cities and inhabit them. Now, what's interesting, it says, continues on, they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. Now, outside of Arad, in the Negev Desert, there is a vineyard. It's a very unique thing to, to plant a vineyard in the desert. Well, Israelis figured out that actually if you deprive grapes of water, the grapes don't get very big. They actually stay fairly small. And what happens is the wine from those grapes is very smooth. But they also figured out that not only is it very smooth, but it comes with an extra kick. I'm just going to explain to you what that means later when there's people over 21 that are here. But the, here it is. The wine is so smooth and with such uh, fermentation that it costs $100 a bottle. It wins awards every year. They grow this in the negative. But this is the prophecy. They shall make their, whoops, they shall make gardens and eat the fruit. I will plant them in their land and they shall never again be uprooted on the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. But very interesting, just a few weeks ago, we had a horrible tragedy in San Bernardino. And it was interesting, the New York Daily News basically said it, the, the reason why this tragedy took place is because a Messianic Jew actually got in an argument with a Muslim. And the Muslim guy, basically, he, the Messianic Jew said Islam is not a peaceful religion. And the Muslim basically wanted to prove that it was peaceful and killed him, along with the others. But what's interesting is that the father later on said that he had an obsession with Israel. And he said, you should stop worrying about Israel. Why? Because within two to three years, Israel will be eradicated out of the land. He doesn't understand the prophecy. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land. Shall never begin uprooted. But now ready for this? This is the prophecy that's being fulfilled in our day. It is, it, these are the events happening in our day that we are seeing. But buried in the middle of this prophecy is verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes of him who sows the seed, and the mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. It's a very unique passage. It talks about basically a harvest so abundant that the person is sowing is reaping what he just sowed. It's so abundant he can't handle the harvest. We can get so focused on the fact that we are living in the days where we see evil rising above. We can get focused on the terrors and forget the fact that we are actually alive for the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. What people forget is, or what people don't understand is where we are on the population chart. Just as uh, corn sprouts up, you plant corn, you wait and you're hoping that it even breaks through the soil. It finally breaks through the soil and you think to yourself, how is this thing ever going to produce real corn? I mean, it's so little. And it seems it grows very, very slow. And then all of a sudden, at some point, it just takes off growing. Well, this is the human population chart. This is actually, you'll see here, this starts at zero. This is basically the time of Yeshua. It was essentially flat all the way to about 1800s. In 1880, we, get, we reached our first billion people in the world. Now, in 1930, we got to our second billion people. And right now, we're at seven and a half billion people. This looks like something sprouting up, getting ready to take off. If the Lord decides to tarry for another 10 years, we may get to 10 billion people. Now, let me put this in perspective. I believe there has been a remnant that has been saved and has been saved through all generations. The remnant is being saved today. You can add up, let's say a remnant got saved for the first 2,000 years. The remnant that getting saved in the first 2,000 years, the remnant that gets saved in our generation will be greater 
than the remnant getting saved for 2,000 years. And you're alive for such a time as this. The Lord spoke to me very early on. The key to revival was really to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. There's a lot of ministries that say, bless them and you'll be blessed. But those ministries very often do not talk about the need for their salvation. I mean, just two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, the Pope said, we don't need to share the gospel with the Jewish people. Now, Yeshua, when he came, he shared the gospel with who? With the Jewish people. If he shared with, and, and, and Paul says, share with them first, and also to the Greek. And so here it is, the key to revival now, and understanding all these things is that we are here, and the remnant gets slaved here, is actually greater than all of this for 2,000 years. We have to understand where we are. We can get so focused on the tears. Look, I do the news every day, Monday through Friday. I mean, believe you me, the world is upside down, inside out. But when the Lord spoke to me about moving to Israel, I didn't know how I was going to get there. And the Lord spoke to me in 1998 and said, you need to start a website. And I started a website called Worthy News. And so we cover what's happening around the world, what's happening in Israel, what's happening in the United States, and what's happening to believers around the world. Now, every time I go back and forth between the United States and, and the U.S., I mean, the United States and uh, Israel, I always feel like I'm in a time warp. You have to understand that in 2002, I left the Christian Coalition. Now, the Christian Coalition was the leading organization for lobbyists, for values of believers in Washington, D.C. When I left in 2002 and 2003, the issue of gay marriage wasn't even a topic that was 13 years ago. It wasn't even a topic, and now the, the Supreme Court has passed it through the land. Now, over the summer, we had a lot of different things happen, but the main thing that, that is a threat to Israel is this Iranian deal. Now, for, to put it in perspective, about two years ago, ISIS retook Mosul, took the bank of Mosul. When they took the bank of Mosul, it became the richest terrorist organization overnight. They had $2 billion in assets. Okay, $2 billion in assets. To give you a perspective about this Iranian deal, since 1948 all the way to now, the amount of money that Israel has received in foreign aid from the United States is totaled $124 billion. $124 billion. In 70 years, Israel received $124 in foreign aid. But this Iranian deal will unlock to Iran $150 billion. $150 billion. If you thought what ISIS could do with $2 billion, what do you think a terrorist state that calls for death to Israel and death to America is going to do with $150 billion? Just to put things in perspective. Now, the Iranian deal, very interesting, inside of this deal, there was an article that was added at the last moment. It's called Article 10. And Article 10 talks about all threats of sabotage, that the signers of this agreement have to protect Iran against all threats of sabotage. You have to understand that Israel will not allow Iran to get the bomb. I believe that wholeheartedly. Over the summer, Israel went, did drills in Greece. It's a very interesting thing. They were doing drills in Greece, and they were sending commando units over to Greece, and then they were, they were doing these um, missions inside of abandoned mines. Why? Well, the distance from Israel to Greece is the same distance from Israel to Iran. They were doing abandoned mines because they don't have a layout. They don't know exactly the layout of the Iranian nuclear facilities, but it's sure enough, they're going to have to go in there to di dismantle it. 
Israel's been fighting a covert war with the Iranians for 10 years. We've had situations where uh, viruses have slowed down their, their enrichment programs. We've had di- different situations where scientists have died. But this deal that was added at the last moment, it was, last, it was added at the last moment, basically is to prevent any acts of sabotage. And we wonder how it says in Zechariah 14 that all nations come against Israel. Well, here in this agreement, in this clause, basically it says the United States actually has to protect Iranian nuclear facilities against all acts of sabotage, including Israel. This is a horrible deal. Now, continuing on, the IAEA, the International Energy Atomic Agency, um, has said they were working toward the bomb. Why? You have to understand the Iranian mentality, the, the mindset of Shiites and the mindset of Sunnis, but more so of Shiites, they believe their Mahadi, their Mashiach, their Messiah is coming. And in order for their Messiah to come, they must eradicate the little Satan and the great Satan. The little Satan is Israel. Most Americans don't understand the great Satan is us. They've been preaching hate to us and praying death to America. And we don't add the spiritual element into these peace talks. And so now they went ahead and tested another mid-range ballistic missile. And it wasn't stopped. It, there wasn't anything. Why is it a mid-range? Why is this a threat? Because that's the exact range to Israel. Israel faces so many different threats. Now, I want to give you a little story of hope. Now, I know you can't see this. This is actually is, is 9-10, the day before 9-11. And what, what happened, there was actually a double rainbow. I know you can't see it here. Oh, you, now you can see it. Very good. Thank you, Isaac. This is a rainbow here, and there's actually another rainbow that's faint. And this is the Freedom Tower. What I loved about this is when I saw this, I said, my goodness, we can get so focused on the fact that, you know, the United States has become like Sodom and Gomorrah. But praise God that Abraham was given the promise. If I found just 10 righteous in Simon Gomorrah, he would not destroy it. And when I looked at this picture, I said to my wife, I, you know, this is a very unique thing that happened in 910. But what was really strange was the next day, 9-11, I was sitting in my house in a rod, and there was a freak lightning show. The lightning storm went on for over 30 minutes. I have never seen a lightning storm like this. It didn't stop. It was like God's fireworks put, putting forth the July. I mean, it was so surreal. But the fireworks are actually happened also in Saudi Arabia. This is the Grand Mosque in Saudi Arabia. And just before, right, the 6 o'clock prayers, just before the 6 o'clock prayers, which is what time in the United States? Just before 10 o'clock in the morning. 14 years later to the day, and it very well could have been to the minute. We don't know exactly what minute this took place. But 9.52, the first tower was struck. 14 of the 18 terrorists were Saudis. And all of a sudden, a lightning hits this crane and kills over 100 people. And one of the persons that died was an Iranian scientist. Now, continuing on, the crane was actually owned by the Bin Laden family. The Bin Laden family disowned Bin Laden, but the Bin Laden family is in basically one of the largest construction companies in all of Saudi Arabia. And the crane was owned by the Bin Laden family. When he got struck by lightning, they said it must be an act of God, that Allah must be displeased with us. And all of a sudden, there's been calls for the monarchy because they believe the monarchy is in apostasy to overthrow the monarchy. Now, according to Shiites, which is Iranians, um, you know, and other factions, uh, Hezbollah would also be considered Shiite, they believe that they need to re- also retake Mecca Medina. And one of the Hadiths, one of their commentaries says, 
that when a king named Abdullah dies, and he just passed away, that they would be an uprising in Yemen, which is happening now, and this army from Yemen would retake Mecca Medina. And so all of a sudden, the Saudis are fighting for power, and there was a stampede that took place. Over a 1,000 people died, and the Saudis went ahead and beheaded 28 of their officials, trying to save face, trying to protect their monarchy. What was really bizarre about this, ready? This happened, you'll see here, you don't see it, October 5th. A week earlier, they were just chosen to head the UN Human Rights Panel. The head of the UN Human Rights Panel just beheaded 28 of their own officials. We're not, I mean, we're not hearing any of this. Now, a lot of talk was happening about the Shemitah. The Shemitah, and everyone said nothing happened during the Shemitah. There was so much that happened during the Shemitah that most people don't understand everything was happening because we're in a box, we're in a bubble. We're, we're looking at everything as Americans, you're looking at everything in America. You're not looking at the events happening in China where their economy basically got wiped out 40%. You're not looking at the events in Germany where their economy got wiped out. And you're looking at different events around the world, and what happened was, ready for this, that they lost $11 trillion dollars across the globe. $11 trillion was wiped out. The problem is that we hear the word trillion so much, we've been desensitized to how much a trillion is. So let me give it to you in the scope of time. A million seconds is about 13 days. A billion seconds, right, is about 31 years. A trillion seconds is over 31,000 years. Okay, let me, let's do it in the scope of money. Okay, so this is a, a million dollars in $100 bills. This happens to be a lady about five foot seven. She's sitting on a couch made of $100 bills. This is $100 million, okay? This right here is a man standing with about, you know, 10 pallets, and there's the woman. This is a billion dollars, okay? This is a trillion dollars. This is the same lady. This is the same man, okay? This is an 18-wheeler. That's the White House. That's a 747, that's a trillion dollars. When it says that our markets go ahead and, and we're, 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 the budget is, we're overspending, in this particular budget, I think we passed, we're overspending $500 billion. It's a lot of money. And so when the markets lose $11 trillion, it's a significant event. But that wasn't the only thing that happened during the Shemitah. See, another very important event happened. Israel finds out that in the Dome of the Rock and in the Alaska Mosque, there are weapons. There are pipe bombs, there are weapons, and we're finding out now, France just found out, that France just raided about 200 mosques in France. In the raids of France, in the 10 days that they raided, they found as many weapons, a third of the amount of weapons that they usually find in an entire year. Just in the, in the 200 mosques they raided. Well, Israel finds out there are weapons inside of the Dome of the Rock, inside the Alaska Mosque, and so they actually send in troops which now has set off a whole firestorm because now it is the Alaska Antifada. The events that are taking place today are stemmed from this event when they went in and dismantled. And this is a picture. This right here is a Hamas headband, if you didn't know. And you'll see this happened just before the, the Jewish New Year, right before Rosh Hashanah. We have been dealing with stabbings, for now over two months, they do not think this will slow down. This is how we just started our new Shemitah cycle. You have to understand what is taking place. It's all based on this event 
And it's no wonder the Lord says that Jerusalem shall be a burdensome stone. It's no wonder that the fight is really over this piece of real estate. Now, I'm going to jump. The Pope speaks to the UN. I, I, I had a lot more slides, but I have for time's sake. The Pope speaks to the UN. When he speaks to the UN, they're talking about Agenda 21, basically getting everything globalized by the year 2030. Trying to get everything globalized by the year 2030. And the whole world heralds this, saying this is a great thing. They're going to spend between 3 and $5 trillion. Inside of this, most people don't realize, is, is the mechanism to have everyone biochipped. Now, continuing on real quick, we had the blood red moon. And everyone was looking at the blood red moon and said nothing happened. That's not true. The following day, Russia did its first airstrikes in Syria. The events in Syria basically could have almost brought us to the third world world. There's 14 countries now flying um, in missions inside of Syria, including Israel. Israel's done, we know of three different events that Israel's done, one of which they took out a, a, Scud, Mus a Scud missile uh, Syrian brigade. There's been other events. We have 14 nations. Now, there was an event that took place about three weeks ago. Turkey shot down a Russian plane. Why is this significant? Turkey is a member of NATO. Article 5 of NATO says a, a strike against a member of NATO is a strike against all of NATO. If Russia would have retaliated, the United States and all of the NATO nations would have been called to fight against Russia. We were almost in World War III. And then about last week, there was a situation that Putin says, I hope we don't have to nuke ISIS. Why is this significant? Isaiah 17 says, Damascus shall be a ruinous heap. So we can get focused on all the tears and focused on how upside down the world is, how close we are to the end, and get focused on all these things and forget what our responsibility is as believers in these last days. You see, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to skip this because I'm out of time. Tell me, Mets, talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you about that part. But Paul... He says this, he says, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. How many believe that we're at the end of the world? We're, at the, we're getting ready to see the Mashiach come and Paul actually says, look, study this passage and what he's actually studying is the Exodus. See, if you want to understand what's happening in Revelation, you actually have to study the Exodus. They're very closely related. I don't have time to get on the details, but this is Paul's warning. He says, moreover, brother, I do not want you to be unaware. He says, wake up. Wake up, be aware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moshe in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock, we followed them, that rock was Mashiach. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for the bodies were scattered in the wilderness. If you think about it, out of all the thousands of people that left the Exodus, only Yaakov, I mean, only uh, Joshua and Caleb actually entered into the promised land. Now, I'm not talking about salvation here because we know that Moshe was saved. But what I'm talking about is being well-pleasing before God. And so what, 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 what Paul goes ahead and says this. Now, these things became our examples into, into the intent. Verse 1, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 7, do not become idolaters of some of them. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, as in one day 23,000 fell. Verse 9, nor let us tempt Mashiach, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by sermons. Verse 10 is the big one, nor complain, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Paul is saying, study the Exodus. And then verse 11, now all these things happen to them as our examples and were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What he's saying is get holy. We can start complaining about all the bad things that happen in the world and get focused instead of being focused on what we are supposed to be focused on. See, what we're supposed to be focused on is the assignment that all of us have is to share this good news of the gospel. I believe there's two voices speaking in the body. When, when um, Paul says study the Exodus, if you study the Exodus account, these are the events happening today. The spies. Then Moshe sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south, go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether they are forced or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now this was the season of the first ripe grapes. When are grapes harvested? In the fall. We realize that we're working according to God's prophetic plan, that he came during the spring feast and he's coming again during the fall feast. He's saying he, the preparation for the 10 spies is during the fall feasts. The harvest is being prepared for us. This is a picture for us. There's 12 spies who were sent out to land. Now they departed and came back to Moshe and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land which you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in, it, in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. You heard the descendants of Anak? It says this. But the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. They gave, they, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. They complained. which they had been spied out, saying, the land which we have gone out as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it were men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of them had not come from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. I believe there's one voice that is speaking to the body. Ten, ten spies coming out, they're speaking to the body, and they're saying, America is doomed. We'll never have the, a, a revival in Las Vegas. We'll never have a revival in, in New York City. We'll never have a revival. The, all these cities are like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're spiritual giants. They're, they're, the cities are fortified. We'll never take it. Who was alive in 1967? I just want to see who was older than I was. I'm sorry. I was born in 1971. 1967, a very unique time prophetically. Israel retakes Jerusalem. On the cross streets of Ashbury and Haight, in the middle of San Francisco, which we would call Sodom and Gomorrah. On the, on the intersection of Ashbury and Haight, a revival broke out called the Jesus Movement. And during the Jesus Movement, more Jewish people came to faith during the seven years than all 2,000 years combined. It happened at a time when everyone looked, everything looked the most bleak. I mean, the world must have, they must have been thinking, Believers at that time must have been thinking, oh my goodness, there's false love, false peace. This whole hippie movement's going to overwhelm, we're going to be destroyed, we're going to be wiped out. That's not what took place. Revival took place. It happened when it was the most dark. Those that were leading those revivals in San Francisco weren't listening to the 10 spies, saying there'll never be revival in San Francisco. They were listening to something. 
Now the two spies that came back, and then Caleb quieted the people before Moshe and said, let us go up at once and, and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. What was different about Caleb? What was different about Joshua? Look at what it says. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him to the land where he went into Seneca and inherited. Caleb and Joshua were able to walk into all the promises of God. God wasn't displeased with Joshua and Caleb. They were able to walk into all the promises of God. And they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel. The land which we passed through, the spine land, is exceedingly good land. If, the word is if, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us to the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. The ten spies, when they spied at the end, they looked at themselves and they didn't have something. They didn't have the God factor. What they looked at themselves, they said, we're grasshoppers in the sight of giants. If you look at yourselves in the midst of the, of the world that we live in, you can make feel like a grasshopper. But that is not how God looks at you. If you're truly in the Mashiach, then you are part of the priesthood of God. You're called more than conquerors through him that loved us. See, they had the God factor. If you take the God factor, of course you will feel defeated. But if God is for you, who can be against you? What we have to learn from Joshua and Caleb is they understand that God is with us. Now, if you start standing up for the Lord and start believing that God is going to take down the spiritual strongholds around your life, start taking the spiritual strongholds over Las Vegas, over New York City, over Denver, and start walking in holiness and righteousness, look what happened. And all the congregations had to stone them with stones. It's no wonder that you get opposition within the body itself when you start walking in the way that God has called us to walk. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moshe, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs I have performed among them? We are privileged to be alive for such a time as this that we have seen now the restoration of Israel. We're seeing the restoration of prophecy being fulfilled in our very eyes. I could take the attitude of the ten spies and never accomplish anything in the city that we live in. But I'm walking like Joshua and Caleb, and I believe what the scriptures tell me, that all of Israel shall be saved. There's 15,000 or so Jewish believers out of six and a half million Jewish people in Israel. I could start feeling to myself, oh my goodness, they had the largest gay, par gay parade in Tel Aviv this year. I could get overwhelmed with the fact they're pushing for gay marriage. I could be overwhelmed by the fact that all of a sudden, you know, obstacles upon obstacles are facing us. That is not what we're called. We're called to understand who we are. We're kings and priests of the Most High God. We're called to slay the giants. Even the greatest giant slayer, David, Eliav, his brother, fought against him. Now, Eliav, his older brother, when he spoke to the men, Eliav's anger was aroused against David. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart, for you've come, to, come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? What is my cause? Now look what David does. He stands up against the giant. says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you. He's not saying you need weapons. 
He's saying you need the Lord. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you in my hand, and I will strike and take your head from you. I want you to think about this. David didn't even have a sword in his hand. He went with him with a slingshot and five rocks, and he says to the giant, I'm going to take your head from you. That's chutzpah. See, what we need today is holy chutzpah. So I start walking with this attitude that we will not be defeated. Start walking with the attitude, I'm going to slay every spiritual giant that is in front of me. Now notice this. He says, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines. David wasn't just ready to slay the giant. He was ready to slay the entire army of the Philistines by himself. He He wasn't seeing who was with him. He knew that God was with him. And one with God is an army that cannot be defeated. And then he continues on. Why? That all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. See, you, we have to be put in a situation where it seems like nothing could possibly come out of this. And we have to be put in such a dark place that when God shows up, everyone knows it's God. Because they sure knew it wasn't David. And then if you notice here in verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and drew near to David, David hastened and ran toward the army. He was ready to take on the whole army by himself. And it says that all this assembly should know that the Lord does not save with a sword and spirit, for the battle is the Lord's. We have to understand this battle that we face is not our battle. It is God's battle. We have a promise given to us. Arise and shine for your light is coming. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. That's the same thing that happened to Joshua and Caleb. It's the same thing that happened to David. We got to start walking around with some holy chutzpah. Start walking around saying, I'm going to take the the head off the spiritual giants. I'm going to start walking around with an attitude that God is going to bring forth revival. Every person I talk to, God's Spirit is going to be anointing through us to reach them with the gospel. we got to start understanding that God has placed us here for such a time as this to be part of the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. And you're privileged to be here. We can get so focused, it's the end of the world. It is not the end of the world for us people. It is the beginning of the kingdom. We're getting ready to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what is he going to say to us? He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Or is he going to be displeased with many, just as many of those that left the Exodus couldn't let go of their sin, couldn't let go of all the things that were binding them up. If we are going to do great things, we got to let him work through us. We got to let go of our sin. We got to start walking in holiness. We got to start walking in righteousness. We got to start walking with the anointing. Because if you start walking with the anointing, guess what? The giants don't want to face you. We've lost our chutzpah. We need to get a chutzpah back. We're almost home, people. We're in the final stretch. We're at the end. Let us finish the race stronger than when we started. You know, a relay race is very interesting. Baton has been passed from generation to generation. But the last, the last runner is called the anchor leg. God has thought us so privileged to be part of this anchor generation. The strongest runners. 
you may feel like a grasshopper. Stop. Start realizing who you are in the Mashiach. For we are more than conquerors than him that loved us. So, Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would seal this word, Father. Father, I ask you, Abba. <sighs> Father, we ask you, Abba, that your spirit would come down with such power. That your anointing would come down, Father. That all spirit of fear and the spirit that says we can't would be removed. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would fill us with such an anointing. Father, we ask you, Abba, that you would empower us by your Son, empower us by your Spirit, to walk as you've called us to walk in holiness and righteousness. We praise you, Abba. May revival be poured out upon this entire congregation. May they walk out of here changed. May they walk out of here walking out in boldness and righteousness. And so, Father, we thank you, Abba. B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Let's have the lights. <clears throat> I feel led to do things a little differently this this afternoon. <coughs> um, I don't know about you. I've been blessed by this word, George. <coughs> and I sense that we really want to seize the opportunity to respond to what it is that God is saying to each one of us. So yes. We will uh, take some time for prayer. Afterwards, we'll take up the offering. But at this point, when the Lord taps us on the shoulder and speaks to us, we want to respond. And if your life has been characterized by fear and insecurity because of what's going on in the world, because of what's going on in your life, take a moment or so to say, Lord, you are infinitely bigger than all of these things. And lay hold of what, what it is that God has for you, what he has for you to do, and say, yes, I will do it. <laughs>